they have real no means of locomotion. Well, fear not. Um, the more charismatic you are, the friendlier you fly. Like, uh, is that American Airlines? <laughs> yeah, fly the friendly skies. <laughs> Just hop on my back. Live from the Mundangerous Spelljammer in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 266 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're visiting a realm of thought and adventuring through the astral plane. But first, the party charges ahead in the Gates of Morning campaign. And later, the Guardian of the God Isles protects the dishonored dead in the Character Creation Forge. Total Party Thrill is brought to you this week by Cobalt Press. Deep Magic is a book of more than 700 new and amazing spells, with spells for every spellcasting class. Yep, has dozens of new subclasses and 16 divine domains from the domain of beer to speed and beyond. All you need is the domain of beer. I mean, you just, you know, dive deeply into that holy embrace. Do not multiclass domain of speed and domain of beer. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> produces poor results or the best results <laughs> enters domain of falling <laughs> there's also dark magic for villains including blood magic void magic infernal magic mythos magic and more there are twists on familiar magic such as fireball charm person and raise dead plus dozens of new familiars and arcane servants so find out more at www.cobaltpress.com and tell them dspn sent you uh, Ishan, we have this episode coming on a timely moment, uh, given a teaser that came out this week uh, about the potential of Planescape coming back to 5th edition. Yeah, but it seems like maybe it was uh, a premature teaser or maybe Tony Dieterlizzi, uh, who did a lot of the iconic Planescape arc, just got a little bit ahead of himself and didn't realize <laughs> how much people want to see Planescape stuff. Yeah, so he he tweeted a cryptic tweet that was like, oh, excited to like, you know, go back to some old favorites. And everyone thought, oh, cool. Like, you're working with Wizards of the Coast again. It'll be Planescape. And no, it's probably Magic the Gathering. <laughs> yeah. Uh, some of, uh, some of uh, our favorites. Oh, you meant your favorites, Tony, not our favorites. Okay. Not our All right. favorites, yeah. I mean, I guess, <laughs> exactly. I guess that's reasonable. It was, in fact, your tweet. So <laughs> unlucky. Anyway, it doesn't mean we're not getting Planescape eventually. Someday, maybe. Fingers mm. crossed. Mm-hmm, hope, mm-hmm, I hope. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Yeah, but probably, probably not, not soon. Because uh, the next, oh, the next book is uh, Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. Is that it? That's it. Tasha's Cauldron of Reprints. Yeah, I mean, lots of reprints. New, at least one new subclass for each class, including the Artificer, because we're getting the Armorer Artificer. So. I mean, Xanathar's is the best book that has come out for 5th edition thus far, so I'm hoping Tasha's gives us some uh, good crunch, but who knows? And then I think uh, we owe a thank you to Matt Perotti for pointing out to us this week that for the past few weeks, we have been misnaming my character in the Gates of Morning campaign. I mean, but who among us, you or I, would remember your character? Right. Okay, so so here's the thing. So yeah, to clarify before we go into the Gates of Morning recap, uh, my character is a druid named Warden. Um, my character, my first character in our Dark Sun campaign, who literally died three years ago, was named Watcher. 
um, and he was a barbarian in the standard bearer. That was his deal. Uh, we have apparently been calling my character in Gates of Morning Watcher instead of Warden for some time, and we need to correct that. So uh, going forward, when you hear Warden, it's Shane's character. <laughs> when you hear Watcher, <laughs> it's us misnaming <laughs> Shane's character. <laughs> or randomly talking about our Dark Sun game. Or that, yeah. <laughs> Don't know what it is with one one like non-name names that start with W, but here we are. Witcher? Who's Witcher? <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, so let's move on into the Gates of Morning campaign. So the Gates of Morning campaign is our fifth edition D&D game set in Eberron, a sequel of sorts to the original Morning Glory campaign. And in southern Karnath, on the edge of the moorland, the party is chasing a killer. So they have snuck into the heart of an arcane facility that is now tapping the energies of the Mornland, and they prepare for a full assault on the laboratory that's just down the corridor, where they're hoping to confront Polda, the spellcaster in charge of this compound. So the passage to the lab is ringed with a sparking portal that Bramble is unable to dispel. Uh, instead of, you know, more safe approaches, we decide to just charge through. Yeah. And a sense of dread settles in their stomachs as they cross the threshold of the portal. I say they because Warden feels none of this. <laughs> he, ca he cares not for your existential dread. <laughs> Except that he does feel it. In his stomach, something's weird about this place. <laughs> the passage leads to a cavern in which sit half a dozen sarcophagi, all filled with dark liquid. From the ceiling, a waterfall pours, pooling on the ground before flowing through the middle of the room in a small stream and out a hole in the western wall. And the only person in this room as far as they can see is at the far end of the cave. A small hooded figure is busy working at an arcane apparatus. So assuming that this figure is Polda, Vesikad, our uh, Kalistar, attacks her mind, which she shrugs off. Uh, and into his mind, she speaks in a sing-song voice, I see you, Kalistar. Bramble, then, barks instructions, as he does at the beginning of every fight, and everybody races immediately into position, either leaping the stream or clambering right through the water to get to Polda as quickly as possible. Bramble also stands by the door and activates the portal mechanism, and a metal iris slides shut, thus sealing all of them inside this room and preventing reinforcements from coming to Polda's aid. With a simple gesture, though, Polda throws the entire room into darkness. But fortunately, Zan pulls the last of the daylight grenades that they found on the Karnathi battlefield from his satchel, throws it into the air, and it explodes, filling the entire chamber with the glow of the sun. Ironic that we gave daylight grenades to Zan, who's the only member of the party who can see through magical darkness. <laughs> <laughs> I think at this point it had to be like, uh, one of you still has a daylight grenade. Yeah. Was it? <laughs> Might have been it. <laughs> so Switch lands a particularly cruel blow, running her rapier through this enemy. Uh, but Polda's body momentarily turns into iron, just turning aside the blade. Warden, now a bear, mauls the small figure and pins her to the ground with a massive paw. Laughing, she conjures a spectral hand that activates the apparatus next to her. The dark water in each of the sarcophagi then begins to bubble, 
and from within, stitch zombies begin to emerge one by one. And we'll find out what happens next, next week. So this week, we are continuing our series on adventuring in different environments, and we are talking about the astral plane. So like many extra-dimensional places characters might travel to in a fantasy game, the astral plane has roots in real-world belief systems. It is often described as a place of pure thought or spirit, where souls exist before birth and then go to after death. And many people say it's still it's possible to travel there while you're still alive, either by transcending your physical form through intense medication. Well, through intense medication, medication. <laughs> quite possibly. <laughs> or intense meditation or just lucid dreaming. I think we've just made this a cyberpunk uh, <laughs> quality now. <laughs> I, I don't know why you wouldn't go to the astral. It's the Matrix. Right. It's, uh, it's Inception. <laughs> that top never stops spinning, but that's because there's no time here. So in a game, the astral sea is a metaphysical location with its own rules and discoveries to be had and its own sorts of challenges and monsters. There are many ways to interpret it uh, as there are belief systems that incorporate it. So you need to determine like its characteristics for your game, for your table. So we're going to talk about a couple of the most common representations and you can kind of take and borrow whatever you're looking for. So first off, what is the astral plane like? Uh, Shane, like you said, you're going to need to decide in your game what is it like. But in D&D, the astral plane is also sometimes called the astral sea. And we're just going to switch back and forth between them because, you know, those are the words that pop out of my mouth. Yeah, because we lazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think the difference is uh, the astral plane is what it was initially called. And then in fourth edition, they changed the whole cosmology and they called it the astral sea. And there are some slightly different things. But in terms of like going there and doing things there and having interesting encounters there, they're basically interchangeable. Yeah. So like the astral plane was like a flat place where all the other planes are sort of connected. Right. Like and the astral sea is sort of reflecting, I think, a little bit more of like uh, almost like like a title like ever-changing sense to the astral plane right like astral plane feels like more static astral sea feels more chaotic yeah and then they took a lot of the outer planes and then just shoved them into certain sections of the astral so the the astral was sort of like you know yeah this churning void where you could come across hades or mount celestia or whatever right so it is a, like you said, it's a transitive plane. It's a place between places. It is the absence of time and space, an infinite void filled with the detritus that has broken off from literally every other plane in existence. Which, of course, is this problem you run into, like, hey, it's a big empty place where, like, no time passes and, and like, nothing is native. It's just leftover crap. Which might make it sound like a boring place, but that means that you can find absolutely anything that exists in your game inside the astral and it has a reason to be there because everything ends up here so you can think about travelers or wanderers or just creatures that have been marooned out there that have no escape um it could be you know relatively powerful entities it could be incredibly weak entities like there's any reason to be uh encountered in the astral sea in by intent uh by accident whatever so in D&D, also, there is light. There's just light. There's not really anything giving off light, but there is light in the plane. Uh, but there's no gravity and there's no air. However, since there's no time either, creatures in the astral plane don't need to eat or breathe or sleep. 
food doesn't rot, bodies don't rot, but nobody needs to eat food anyway because no one gets hungry. Uh, and illnesses and age are halted while you're on the astral plane. Which, then, which is a great thing, right? No drawbacks. Yeah, yeah, it's a great <laughs> thing. Uh, except for that little thing where in many versions of the astral sea, it all catches up to you as soon as you return to a real world, to a real plane. Yeah, that you get that a lot with like uh, the Feywild or Thalanis or, you know, uh, mythologies where you like you go to a fairy kingdom and you know you spend a, a night dancing or whatever and you come back and 20 years has gone by and you have aged right immediately yep which is all right if you're rip van winkle and like you know crap a lot of your lifespan is gone and that kind of sucks uh it's really bad if you've been gone for 400 years and you're a human yeah <laughs> and you come back in like you immediately uh indiana jones and last crusade it out of there yeah it's uh <laughs> maybe a good place to become a lich yeah. <laughs> right this is a one-way ticket i'm either gonna be a lich or i'm never coming back right on the plus side i have forever to figure out how to be a lich right and there is no gravity but moving around requires the application of thought to fly around which means that the smarter you are the faster you fly and unintelligent objects just float listlessly you can push them if you really want to uh, but other than that they they have real no means of locomotion well fear not um, the more charismatic you are, the friendlier you fly. Like, uh, is that American Airlines? <laughs> yeah, fly the friendly skies. <laughs> Just hop on my back. All right. So an important question uh, for anybody involving the astral plane is going to be, how did you get there? What did it take to arrive here in the astral plane in the astral sea? Yeah, because there are very, very few native creatures to the astral. So pretty much everything that gets there has come from some other like material plane or, you know, elemental plane or whatever. So the most obvious way is plane shift. You can also get there via astral projection, which doesn't put their put you there physically. Um, there are some benefits and some drawbacks to showing up in the astral plane via a projection. However, both of those are really high spells, seventh level and ninth level. So if you can't find someone to cast them, it's going to be a long time before your players can, which means it's going to be a long time before you can show up in the astral. Which means you probably want to find a portal, uh, either a, a willing portal or, you know, an, an accidental portal. <laughs> but one way or the other, you're probably going to be shunted to the astral sea rather than necessarily opt in to the astral sea. Yeah, anything can be a portal to the astral. Um, because it's pretty much the place where most portals go. Most portals aren't like one, aren't point to point, right? You don't hop in a portal and, and end up at a different destination. Most of them show up in the astral and then you got to like wander around and find another portal that goes to the place that you actually want to go to. Or maybe more likely find a portal that goes to any other place because otherwise you're stuck on the astral if you don't have plane shift. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that most portals do that, but I certainly most of the ones that adventurers fall into do. <laughs> what do you mean? I have this portal gun, and that goes directly to the astral. <laughs> okay. <laughs> is, is that a video game reference? <laughs> <laughs> I think so. <laughs> I actually okay, am not good. 100% sure. Good, good, good. Okay. <laughs> okay, you're, you're up to date with Valve games circa 2007. Got it. <laughs> yes, that's right. Are we still waiting for Half-Life 3? Uh, well, I have is that a meme for you. <laughs> uh, they've turned Half-Life into a VR tech demo. Anyway. Uh, of course, one way for pretty much any party at any level to show up in the astral, probably unwillingly, is to take a bag of holding and a portable hole and stick them inside each other. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> That's a one-way trip. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, if you have a, a party that is experimenting with this and knows this is probably going to happen and they do it anyway, then I guess we're adventuring in the astral sea now. You can also force the players there through plot events, right? So kidnapped by Githyanki pirates, um, you know, uh, requested that they go there for a quest, right? Provided the means by an NPC, anything like that. Um, you can have them kind of opt into it <laughs> um, or, you know, as a fail state, they end up in the astral. Or maybe they pissed off the wrong wizard and they used a uh, plane shift offensively. Right. <laughs> it's a <laughs> plane piss off. <laughs> You're actually really lucky that they picked the astral sea to send you to. Um, because if it was the elemental plane of fire, you're probably just going to die. But mm. on the astral plane, there's an excellent chance you just show up in the middle of a nothing void and don't die <laughs> immediately anyway. You just slowly go mad. The big issue with how you got there, though, is, of course, how do you get out? Because the end state of your game is probably not in the astral plane. You're probably there for a particular reason, and then you want to get out of there, ideally before you age to the point where you're going to die immediately. Mm -hmm. But if you didn't get yourself there, then you probably can't get yourself out. Well, so let's talk about that. Why are we here in the astral? So we already talked about this. It could just be unwilling. This could be a plot event. You have been kidnapped by the Githyanki. That's something the Githyanki do. Uh, you've wandered into uh, a random portal without knowing it. You hopped into a portal thinking it would take you to a different place, and it ended up taking you to the astral plane uh, or sometimes just like pieces of a random plane will get sucked into the astral plane or will like fall off break off and just start floating around like a, a land berg in the middle of the astral yep so i think then the other option that's probably most applicable to most campaigns is going to be something like short-term exploration right you're going to the astral sea for a purpose uh, you might be looking for something that was lost there or hidden there. Um, you might be, you know, using it uh, there because of its transient nature, right? You might be traveling from one portal to another. So if that's the case, right, what are you looking for or where are you going? Yeah. And then if you know what you are looking for, how do you find it in an infinite plane that doesn't have any landmarks? Or if there is a landmark, it's just floating by and probably isn't in the same place that it was before. Um, also consider you might be looking for uh, a person or you might be looking for information from a person, right, who maybe has been there for a long time, possibly forever, um, might be stuck there because they can't leave or they'll simply die. Um, likewise, you might be looking for an object that was in a place and is no longer there. Yeah, in the previous campaign, we uh, destroyed the evil artifact by sticking inside a bag of holding and then adding a portable hole done success we we accomplished it and the bbeg was unable to use their terrible artifact destroyed right <laughs> that's the word for it <laughs> it uh it looked destroyed to us anyway <laughs> exactly <laughs> you can also just be traveling from one portal to another right um if you need to detour through the astral plane in order to get to uh, another portal once you get there how do you then go locating the right portal to get you to your final destination this is actually one of the features of the astral plane is that it is littered with things called color pools, which are exactly like they sound. They are like rainbow colored pools, like vortexes of energy that can be, you know, feet to meters uh, across. And <laughs> traditionally, the particular color matches up with the particular planar destination. So if you know what you're doing, you can be like, oh, it's a 
lime green portal, that means it takes me to Bytopia. I like uh, I like the idea of doing that, uh, except in, make them much more vague colors of d- just different shades. You know, <laughs> like oh sure, like that's a that's chartreuse, or is it? Hmm. <laughs> uh, it seems more of a, a, a verdant. I don't I don't know. Would we call that a taupe, a, a mauve, or a puce? Yeah, is, is that beige or <laughs> eggshell? <laughs> oh man, I got an extra feet by taking colorblind, and I never thought it would bite me in the ass. And yet, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I do think that is that is an important consideration, though, right? Because the astral sea is is meant to be different from normal planes, right? Like it's meant to feel differently. So, what those portals actually look like is is an important decision to make aesthetically for your environment, right? Like. Are they swirling miasma of color? Are they like, you know, an, an iris that opens just out of nothing? Like, how do you characterize that stuff? And then what do those colors look like? What What is the sensation that you get from observing it? Yeah. Um, are they one way? Are they like a Stargate where you can like stick something on a line and throw it in and then pull it back uh, out and like figure out <laughs> where it went? <laughs> it's wet. Probably... Um, uh, the plane of air that would be my guess yeah yeah, yeah. thunderstorm <laughs> the other thing you can do here is if you're not necessarily playing like a fantasy game like D, if you're playing a cyberpunk game a sci-fi game a, a metaphysical game the astral plane is a great place for self-discovery um that you will you will meditate there uh you will project there yourself and so you exist in spirit form which means you can do all kinds of things and have all kinds of realizations that are a lot more difficult in your physical form what if you want to have a more long-term adventure ishan what if you don't just want to make it a, a passing state between adventures well the first thing to consider is how long are you going to be on the astral plane is that going to be a concern of yours? I mean, if you're gone for a few months, which like an entire campaign could easily happen in a few months, then it's probably not that big a deal. Uh, but if you're going to be there longer, then are you ever even going to be able to come back? Or is this really just sort of like a one-way trip? And you, I guess you better get used to this. Right. So while you're there, lots of things that you could be doing that could take a very long time. For example, fighting with, or maybe parlaying with, the Githyanki, who are the primary antagonists that most people will meet when they end up on the astral plane. Yeah, so Githyanki basically live forever. Uh, They know a ton about all the different planes, and especially anything to do with Illithids, whom they hate. Um, If you need training, if you need to get yourself a spell jammer, like... They're the ones that you need to entreat for that information if they don't just kill you. Yeah, they'll probably just kill you. <laughs> Which makes them an interesting and fun challenge. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a social encounter with real stakes. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Uh, you better not screw this up. Yeah, you probably do want advantage and guidance on this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the Githyanki, um, they, uh, they live as pirates which is kind of weird because they don't need much for living because they exist on the astral plane, so they don't need food, um, and they don't age, which means that they go to to material planes to plunder things and then bring it back to their Lich Queen for her own devices because their capital city is built on the corpse of a dead god, which are also things that float around the astral plane, and their Lich Queen is trying to steal the essence of that god that they're sitting on so that she can ascend which 
I don't know, for, I think for most parties is not a great thing. Is, is that the plot of Dead Gods? Uh, it comes into play in Dead Gods, but it is a different dead god trying to basically be not dead. Got it. Uh, but yeah, the, the Yankee uh, are a constant threat when when you're in the astral. Um, yeah, even if you are astrally projecting, um, any high-level Githyanki can kill you, can just sever, sever your cord, and oops. Yeah, they're actually probably some of the, the most dangerous. Them and the Astral Dreadnoughts, I think those are probably the only things in 5th edition that like just sever your silver cord. But, I mean, keep in mind, right, Like as the, as the GM for this, a high-level Githyanki presents that kind of threat means they have that kind of leverage. Right, so if you could prove more useful to them uh, alive than severed, then there's no reason they wouldn't just hold you hostage, <laughs> you know, like use your capability for their own ends versus simply game over, you know, your silver cord is cut. Right, because the Githyanki are often portrayed, I mean, basically always portrayed as like bloodthirsty, like savage pirates, and they, they take what they want and leave no survivors, or if they do, it's because they've captured you for forced labor, you know? And, you know, that is sort of an interesting nameless um, enemy that you can sort of kill with impunity if they find you because, you know, obviously you don't want to be like captured and literally live in, in forced servitude forever. But I think they're more interesting when there is that threat hanging over you and yet you might have something that they want or they have something that you want and you you then need to negotiate probably in a hostile manner yeah definitely want to wear all of your bling to the astral sea <laughs> like when you astral project like, make sure they know that you have something that might be useful to you whether it's your staff or your sword or you know your magic earrings <laughs> uh you know what you get if you sever my silver cord nothing yeah i'm a waste <laughs> i I'm die and that it. sucks for me but uh you just swung your sword for nothing we right. should talk for a bit <laughs> So the Githyanki aren't the only ones that know the, that the god isles are out there. In traditional D&D mythology, when a god dies, for whatever reason that is, either not enough worship uh, or killed by another god or primordial or something like or that, Mistra their spirit then travels to the astral plane and solidifies into a huge floating mountain of stone, which people can land on. <laughs> yeah, so on these floating mountains time and gravity work normally um they're filled with trapped design essence they make the perfect fuel for rituals and you know they could be objects of vestigial worship like there's all the perks of being a god are now kind of manifest on this environment yeah so if you want to resurrect a god or resurrect your god you gotta go find their god isle corpse on the astral plane uh, if you're a party, it is a great place to locate your BBEG because that's probably where they're doing some kind of terrible ritual to fuel the ascension of an undead god. Uh, it can be an interesting place for a warlock to meet their patron because a lot of these gods are vestiges and they can only communicate with the outside world by giving some power to a random warlock. Also a great place for a cleric to lose faith. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, gods can die, huh? <laughs> yeah. Also, like, my god's dead, huh? <laughs> <laughs> that, Weird. Uh, that sucks. I wanted to gaze upon the face of my god, and there it is in stone. Yep. Uncomfortable for the god of air. 
So remember that the God Isles are essentially like actual mountains. They have terrain, they have crevasses where gravity works on them. They'll have a tree line. They, you know, they, they might have weather because they're so large. Monsters will be native to them or live on them. The Githyanki, of course, have built their entire city on one, but they aren't the only one. So you could find humanoids living on these God Isles who may not even necessarily know that they're living on a God, although there are going to be effects from that. Then there are some versions of the Astral Sea that contain the homes of gods uh, and like these massive floating bubbles of divine power. So you could literally visit your domain. Yeah, if you can get to the Astral and you travel long enough in the proper direction, you just show up at basically the floating castle of your god or a god. Um, floating city remember, of civilization. Yeah. Although remember in this version of the astral plane right the astral sea uh all of the divine all of the divine domains are in the astral not just the good gods the evil gods uh asmodeus in this version is um is a god uh, a very evil god who used to be a devil uh you also have you know a lot of the sort of the planescape um planes gehenna hades all of these will be floating around as like bubbles of of divine domain in the astral and sometimes they run into each other or come near to each other and that can cause problems so let's go ahead and talk about challenges of being in the astral plane normally in this series we talk a lot about survival you know how do you survive a jungle environment or underwater but Unlike most hostile environments, survival is super easy in the astral. You can just float forever and like never age and never get hungry. You'll just get bored. Yeah, the problem comes that if you ever want to leave, you have to very carefully track your time, uh, which is hard to do when you're in a timeless void with no sense of space or time or any type of you know physical need restricting you. Your clocks don't work. You, you don't get hungry. You don't need to sleep. You don't have to go to the bathroom. There's no cycle of day or night have you been here one very very long day or you know have you been here a hundred years it's basically quarantine even if you find the thing you're looking for or the person you're looking for will it survive the journey back to the real world you know like uh an ancient tome is prone to decay <laughs> so if it's been there for fifteen thousand years like, what state will it be in when it re-enters the real world uh, an ancient wizard, even though they have all the knowledge that you need and are definitely willing to return with you to solve all of your problems on the material plane, how are they going to deal with a thousand years of instant decay? I think it's uh, it's by putting a little astral uh, astral helmet over them. You know, give them a little bubble of astral sea so they can just kind of like float through your plane in their own little protective suit. Oh, I thought you meant like a, a helmet and then they would come back and everything except their head would immediately decay and then there'd be like a brain in a jar like uh, oh. Richard Nixon on Futurama. Oh, okay. <laughs> Ted Williams in real life. Uh, isn't that what happens to dead presidents? Um, they they become floating god isles. I think Nixon is somewhere in the astral just sort of floating to uh, like four fingers raised. Four, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's He's floating in the astral but not a crook. <laughs> definitely not gerald ford dead today <laughs> the tender age of 485 there is at least one environmental hazard in the astral the psychic wind uh remember it's a realm of thought so sometimes too many thoughts gather all at once and, and become basically a, a thought storm which can knock you off course sure but can also drive you insane 
the other challenge, of course, when you have a, a timeless and spaceless and, and landmarkless void is navigation. Uh, it's extremely easy to move around the astral sea. It's very different to locate things, find your you know target, to locate a portal, figure out where your portal is going. Um, all those elements become very challenging. Judging distance is almost impossible. Right. Uh, your movement speed is your intelligence score times three. So suddenly your wizard is zipping around and your rogue has no idea how to move anywhere. This is a great use of mechanics. <laughs> like, we absolutely needed to know that the wizard can move 60 feet per round. <laughs> also think about you have infinite sight lines. There's no horizon. You can see forever. Things just get smaller. So actually, I think the astral, like the the sky of the astral plane should be littered with objects, but just very, very tiny objects because they're very far away. <laughs> yeah. Let's <laughs> get some eagle eye glasses. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about some encounters that you might run into in the astral. We've already talked about some monsters, but the Githyanki are probably the poster children for getting ganked <laughs> in the uh, Astral Sea. Right. They're usually uninterested in survivors, but think of it this way. If they take you for forced labor, there's no overhead. They don't need to feed you, <laughs> right? They don't even really need to shelter you because they could just leave you drifting and then just make you work when they need you to work. They're also fanatically loyal to the Lich Queen. So while you can bargain with them or parlay, it will always be in service to whatever the Lich Queen is trying to accomplish, not an individual Githyanki. And of course, they do cool things like have their commanders riding red dragons, um, you know, raiding different communities and spell jammers. And of course, the only thing that they hate more than you, an intruder upon the astral plane, is the Githzerai. And the only thing they hate more than them are illithids. <laughs> so that's some leverage you can use. If you're trying to kill or stop some illithids, the Githyanki will probably help you at least first. You know, maybe they'll kill you afterward once the, the problem has been solved. Or they might also just decide, we'll go solve the problem and destroy everything on this planet ourselves. Right. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, they're evil, but they're intelligent. So you kind of have to play them in the way that most benefits your plot. Uh, you don't want Githyanki to exist only to be game over. Right. They're self-interested, so you can use that. Also, keep in mind that even mid-level Githyanki can cast Plane Shift once per day, which means that they might be your ticket home. They also might be the reason that you're here in the first place. But, you know, if you can get enough of them, uh, or you can get one that'll come with you, you can all get home immediately. And naturally... Uh... All their ships must be painted red because they go quite fast through the Astral Sea. But, you know, if you don't want to parlay, you can kill all the Githyanki that you meet in this one raiding party, which is only like 20 of them. I mean, whatever. And then you got a ship. Yeah, the thing is, you definitely don't want to run from their ship if you don't have one of their ships. But if you got one of their ships and it's red, you could maybe make a make a run for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're not going to lose sight of you, though, so you just need That's to keep true. <laughs> I mean, there is like a maximum distance you can resolve with your eye. <laughs> like, depends on the eye. <laughs> I mean, sure. <laughs> Things get Yankee are notoriously short-sighted. You just get That's... longer and longer spyglasses. You can have a mile-long spyglass. It's the Astral Sea. Who's going to stop you? 
<laughs> That's a good point. The thing is, like, they would be able to see better if they would just wear their glasses, but they look goofy in glasses and they're really self-conscious about it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. That's the advantage that you can take. You know, you can just put on some spectacles. I mean, no one will tell them to their face that they look dumb. <laughs> Except they certainly won't survive, survive too. <laughs> All right, you can also run into outsiders because they're often the ones who can cast magic that travels between the planes uh, and often need to travel through the astral in order to get where they're going. So you're just as likely to run into a planetar as you are a Yugoloth or a night hag, which can be huge problems depending on why they're here in the astral. Like, what is their mission? What is their goal? Yeah, so it basically comes down to, is the party a hindrance? Are they a help? Uh, Do you want to help them or are they demanding your help or service? Uh, That's going to color the interaction that you have. But keep in mind that you're kind of catching somebody um, mid-flight. So they might not be in their normal disposition, right? Like if you stumble upon a night hag in normal circumstances, they will probably try to trick and attack you. Uh, If you catch them at, at a loss in the astral sea, maybe they're a little more helpful. Yeah, I like the idea here that you can have encounters with very powerful outsiders, but they don't have to be nearly as one-sided as they would be normally because it might be that the outsider is lost or marooned here and can't get away or is on a very important mission and needs some help. So this night hag or this planetar or whomever can, you know, basically want to impress you into service and say, you immediately need to get me out of here. Or will be much, much more willing to offer you something, a reward perhaps, information or whatever, if you would just so kindly plane shift all of us out of here. Then you will also run into divine vassals. Uh, These are, you know, petitioners, the souls of the dead on their way to the divine domains. Could be your angels, your archons, your planetar. Um, And then, of course, as as a transitory plane, you could run into the wars occurring between the divine domains, right? So the forces of law and chaos or evil and good um, can turn the astral sea into their own battleground. And of course, you can always run into an astral dreadnought. They are rare but extremely deadly. They have a central eye that projects a cone of anti-magic just like a beholder. They've got multiple savage attacks, big sharp teeth. But... Inside their belly, if they swallow you, there's also a demiplane that has normal time and gravity, which can be a death sentence depending on how long you've been here in the astral. Yeah, that's an important note. That's a, you know, that is a welcome to a treasure chest if you are fresh in the astral sea. (laughs) That is, you just became part of a treasure chest (laughs) if you've been there a while. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, they're the Pinocchio's whale of the astral plane. So if you do get inside one, actually, you may want to end up inside one. Actually, that's a great place to hide things. It's also a great place to find a bunch of loot. Right. That's, uh, you know, it's the, the poor plane shifting wizard's bank vault. <laughs> <laughs> Keeps moving around, but, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but it's I got very time to find secure. It. Right. <laughs> and then, of course, there is always confronting the self. If the astral in your game is a place of thought and spirit, then the form that you take while there is also made of thought and is probably a reflection of how you think about yourself. That, of course, that image might take on a mind of its own while you're there. So it's a good place to confront, you know, inner demons or, you know, self-reflection to literally talk to yourself to work things out. Yeah, this is um, this is one of those things where if you want to do like sort of the vignette kind of... Um 
especially like travel montage kind of episode uh, of or session or two, you know, where you have to go into the astral seat. You just want it to be weird. Um, you don't necessarily want the astral seat to derail the adventure, but you do want it to leave a lasting impact. Like you can pose the inner demons of each character as their foil in the astral sea, and that's the challenge that they have to overcome there. Um, they don't run into any of the monsters other than their own thoughts. Um, and when they succeed in overcoming that, right, they're better for it when they get back to their mission. Yeah, I mean, I kind of like the idea of, you know, the Githyanki, Astral Dreadnoughts, different outsiders as essentially manifestations of your own psyche, your your id and your ego, guilt and shame and things like that. So you can always have like, you know, a an interesting combat and then it turns out that these are the feelings that you were having rather than, you know, actually confronting real monsters. Yeah, inside the Astral Dreadnought is the party's own loot. <laughs> what does that mean? The loot was inside you all all along. <laughs> right. Also, you were the real monsters. Yeah, exactly. All right, so power groups in the Astral, the Githyanki, obviously, headed by the Lich Queen. If divine domains are in the Astral, then the gods themselves uh, might be uh, very big power bases. And, of course, the cults of dead gods who are trying to resurrect them or tap their power for whatever reason or definitely want them to stay dead. And then, of course, random immortal wizards who build a tower in the astral because who wants to be a lich? That's gross and icky. I can just live forever here. So let's talk about combat in the astral sea. Your maneuverability changes significantly because your speed is based on intelligence. So even a temporary intelligence buff in games that have those can help a lot. But make sure that you're thinking in three dimensions because attacks are just as likely to come from above than anywhere else, right? You, localized gravity is a thing. So, you know, you can float around if you want. But if you're on a Githyanki pirate ship, you can just walk off the edge, walk under it because you'll sort of stick to it. Yeah, it makes it easier to scrub off those astral sea barnacles. Yeah. I also think you should be setting up your battles at ob oblique angles, right? There's no reason that two people should meet in the astral head on because why were they using sort of like the same like base plane? This this also bothers me in like Star Trek or anytime there are space battles. Like why is why is everyone oriented in, in the same direction? Why is up the same for everybody? Kiting will be easy. There's almost always somewhere to run. Uh, it's difficult to flank somebody when they can just move anywhere in three dimensions they always have an, an angle of egress yeah even just surrounding one person on like a square grid is what a 10 10 to 15 depending on like ways that you have to move and then you know if you're trying to like cast a, a net or just you know prevent somebody from actually going somewhere it's, it's basically impossible you need ridiculous numbers yeah there are fewer obstructions and cover uh, abilities that let you make your own cover are much better. This is actually like the Astral Sea is probably about as close to white room theory crafting as you're going to get when you're dealing with combat. So great, bust out the the high DPR build that you th thought all I needed to do is you know run up to a guy and smash him a bunch of times. And then keep in mind that poison, disease, and damage over time doesn't really work. There's no element of time for those things to take effect. So sleep isn't necessary but a long rest might be um just those things kind of change a little bit if you are astrally projecting here your bigness your biggest weakness is your silver cord it, it's sort of either or if there are enemies who can sever it it's extremely dangerous if there aren't enemies who can sever it you're basically immortal because if you drop to zero hit points that just returns you to your body 
And then that begs the question, what if your enemies are astrally projecting? Uh, can you sever their cord or are they functionally immortal? <laughs> are you just waiting eight hours real time for them to project right back and fight you again? I'm just going to convince them that we haven't been here that long at all. And then when they leave with the thing that they came here to get, they die immediately. Right. I'm screwed, though. Well, not really. I'm an elf. <laughs> All right, what are some plots that you can use if you want to highlight the astral sea in your game? I think the most tra traditional one is that a cleric of a dead god wants to resurrect them, and they need, you know, sacrifices or a terrible ritual in order to do so. Yeah, always a dead evil god, huh? Always. No one good else gods don't die. To, no one else is willing to pay the price. Yeah, Balder was evil. That's why he died. Um, another plot, the Lich Queen just needs to finish one more ritual to complete her apotheosis. The unstoppable Githyanki fleets will be able to show up anywhere in the multiverse at any time and plague you, uh, wherever you are. That could be a bad scene, so you might want to stop her. Mm -hmm. Or, I like you know, you fail in Act 2 and then Act 3 and 4 are about overcoming it anyway. Uh, we just, uh, put the Lich Queen in a bag of holding and then added a portable hole. That'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> gigantic <Gone>. bag of holding <laughs> um i like this uh for a game that has nothing to do with fantasy or DD whatsoever a friend is in a coma and they've gotten lost somehow in their own mind they there's nothing wrong with their body they're just their mind their spirit isn't present so you need to go to the astral plane somehow and find them and guide them back home this is sounding a lot like the recent seasons of archer oh yeah I was thinking it sounded a lot like uh, What Dreams May Come, that Robin Williams movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of paint in that movie. Yeah. <laughs> Take advantage of the timelessness of the astral plane by taking that doomsday device that it's about to destroy all of creation and throwing it into the astral plane because only hiding it there forever is going to keep it from reaching its deadly countdown and annihilating everything. You just really, really got to make sure it stays there. Yeah, or uh, invert that. That happened a thousand years ago, and now somebody has a lead on where it was hidden. <laughs> and then if you want to have like a more personal encounter or adventure, canonically, cities sometimes just get swallowed up into other planes, especially ones that are sort of on the border between planes. You could have a town, a village, an entire city swallowed up by the astral, and now everyone desperately wants to return home. But it's been a thousand years. They'll all immediately die, but they probably don't know that. And also, no one can be born here because no one ages. Um, no one dies of old age. So these are probably just the same people who've been stuck here this whole time. All right, let's cover some of the pitfalls of adventures in the Astral Sea. You can make it a dull expanse of nothing, and then, of course, it will be very boring. So don't do well, that, even if the text says it's a dull expanse of nothing. <laughs> that's right on the tin. It's dull. <laughs> <laughs> you did it. <laughs> just shouldn't do it. I, yeah, I, I, I think I followed a, the box text. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I think you want to like punch it up so that wherever they are in the astral sea, right? If if it is a dull expanse of nothing, then there's no reason for them to be there, and that's clear. Um, or wherever they are, there's a reason for them to be there. There's a you know a sensation, an aesthetic, a plot, a, an opportunity, a, a threat that's close to them that makes the astral sea interesting and different. Otherwise why go 
Yeah. You know what else is a dull, expensive nothing? Space, which is why all our stories happen where stuff is happening. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know what's not fun in space? Combat. It happens <laughs> 400,000 kilometers apart from each other over the course of hours. But I would rather watch ships fight. <laughs> so <laughs> put them next to each other and broadside, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Turn quickly at light speed. Right. Sure, whatever. <laughs> Make it weird, right? Don't make the astral plane just like the real world, but it's on floating islands and there's no ocean. It's just a big silver nothing. I mean, you could you could do that with an ocean and pirates and that would be more fun. You also don't want to punish your players for ending up there, right? Like, don't make the astral sea the fail state that makes the game grind to a halt. Make it the next opportunity to find something cool to do. Yeah, and one way you might inadvertently punish them is by sending them there or having them end up there at too low a, too low a level with no like MacGuffin way to get back. So now they're just stuck here and now you're in an astral plane game. Good luck. Yeah, or the like if their only objective is get out, well, they're pretty limited, right? So you kind of want to dangle the escape option with escape but maybe get a cherry on top option, right? And let them choose. Like, do we risk it? Do we just go back? Yeah, I mean, it's certainly more interesting to be like, your only way out is probably to find the Githyanki. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so don't make the astral plane just a stopover point or a, a place that you're passing through. There's a lot that can happen here, and it's just wacky enough and just weird and dangerous enough that you might find that you have players wanting to use that to their advantage later in your campaign, even when they don't have to go to the astral. Yeah, I think it's, um, I think you can run into this problem where like the astral sea isn't like a necessary component for a lot of games, right? Like it, it isn't like you've missed out on your one to 20 D and D campaign. If you don't visit the astral sea, right? Like you can, you can go plane hopping and, and do all types of high level D and D stuff without going there. Um, so if you take the time to send them there, make sure they're going for a reason, you know, like make sure that it is unique and different and feels like a, that weird between space that the astral sea is meant to be a, a real one to 20 D and D game meets Dristo Erden and then goes and kills the god goddess of magic. Uh, before or after you kill Dristo Erden though, cause I kind of want those scimitars. <laughs> <laughs> they are good scimitars. <laughs> All right. Do you hear that, Ishan? Uh, that is definitely the sound of uh, a Githyanki pirate fleet. But I'm sure they're just here to greet us uh, as liberators, I guess. <laughs> Fly the white flag and move on to the character creation forge then. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice Minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. I'm James Intercasso, and I love tabletop role-playing games. I've got a new podcast called Tabletop Babble that talks RPG advice, interviews, reviews, and news with some of the top names in the industry. The conversation is casual, just like it would be if we were hanging out at a convention or local-friendly game store. Get a new episode each week at don'tsplitthepodcastnetwork.com or wherever podcasts are available for free. All right, so this week in the Character Creation Forge, Ishan, we are building the Guardian of the God Isles. 
Now, what is that? They are a person who, for whatever reason, has found their way to the astral plane and is now making sure that people either don't disturb or don't resurrect the dead gods there. All right. Uh, is this a is this a second edition kit or something that, that existed, or is this a straight nope? Out it of was your just alliteration. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> I never know when I'm missing a reference around here. It's a video game reference chain. Uh, then I cannot you, believe you, that I missed it, and you, you made it. Probably never played that one. Probably from an, an Atari game. Uh, it would have to be if you were active in it. It's very true. You know, God Isles are basically asteroids. You're right. What is an asteroid if not a mountain with a few holes in it? Maybe some worms. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm here on my spell jammer just shooting little bits in it. Okay. All right. What's the build? All right. It is Great Old One, Tome Warlock 17, Scout Rogue 3. So we'll start with five levels of Warlock. Yeah, you'll get Eldritch Blast, pick Booming Blade or Green Flame Blade. Pact of the Tome lets you pick cantrips from anybody. Guidance, of course, is a great option. You get wisdom saving throws and charisma save proficiency, which is great for you because ways that people send you away from the astral are things like banishment, which is a charisma save, which you'll have an excellent chance of avoiding. You'll also get telepathy. Uh, You'll get three invocations at this point. We'll take agonizing blast, lance of lethargy, aspect of the moon, or eldritch spear. Yeah, you have options here. I think if you're playing this as someone who has been on the astral and is used to that and is now in the real world, right? Because this is you don't want to build that is only useful in the astral. Then you can take Aspect of the Moon so you don't have to sleep so that it just feels more like you're on the astral plane. And then if you do end up there later, you can always retrain it. Eldritch Spear, of course, is great because um, it uh, makes your Eldritch Blast a 300-foot range. And if you are on the astral, you got very long sight lines. Yep. Uh, You'll get spells. You can take things like Hex. Hold Person is great if you are trying to stop somebody who's going to, you know, um, finish a ritual. Invisibility, so you can scout around and find out what these people are doing on this god aisle. Counterspell is great for those rituals. Dispel Magic is one of the ways to get rid of someone who is actually projecting. So you can't sever their silver cord, but you can just make them disappear. And then, of course, Hypnotic Pattern, one of the best control spells in the game. Uh, Wouldn't want to leave home without it. From Rogue 3, remember, you're basically like a ranger of the God Isles. These are large chunks of terrain. So, you know, um, here you don't need to, like, select a a piece of terrain to be good on, but a a scout rogue is basically a better ranger. You get cunning action, so even if you're moving slowly because of middling intelligence, you can move faster than most people, even those who are quite smart. You get some sneak attack. Two expertises in whatever you like, uh, survival and nature, are thrown in for free, and then you can disengage as a reaction because often you'll be a lone guardian, and then there will be groups of people attacking you or actually projecting to get to this god aisle, and you can escape uh, and then kite. Yeah, you're going to need to hit and fade, hit and fade. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then you'll take the remaining levels of Warlock. Uh, That will get you some more invocation. The best invocation here, though, is speak with dead at will because... Who's dead? A big corpse god. Yep, the, your your environment, the, the Does, ground beneath uh, you. Right. What is the target of the of the speak with dead spell? One corpse within ten feet of you. Uh, it's the poor man's communion. <laughs> I I break off a piece of its body <laughs> once a week. <laughs> you eat rocks once a week. <laughs> this is it, it says we have to. It's transubstantiated. Okay. <laughs> okay. It's not. It tastes like rock, but it's not rock. <laughs> <laughs> 
theologically. It's that, it's that family guy bit. It's like, holy crap, is that really the blood of Jesus? That dude must have been wasted 24-7. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, you can also take invocations to give you invisibility at will or arcane eye at will. Both things useful when you have to scout and also uh, not get ganked by uh, uh, raiding parties to your uh, your god aisle. You'll get resistance to psychic damage, uh, and you'll get the ability to create thrall. That's useful if uh, you kill everybody in that raiding party uh, or conducting that ritual except for one, and then bend them to your will and send them back and find out who else is coming next. You get great spells. Hold monster. Banishment is the big one because that's how you uh, send people away from the astral because almost nobody is uh, native to the astral plane. Plane shift to get you to the astral in the first place so you can actually start doing your job. And then astral's projection if you just want to visit there and be functionally immortal. All right. Well, before we wrap up, let's take a moment and thank our Patreon supporters. Your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. And if you want to support the show in other ways, you can check out our store on TeePublic. There's a link in the show notes. And you can also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, That makes it easier for people to find the show and helps grow the audience. And if you leave us a five-star review, we will read it on the air. So what do we have planned for next week's episode? We're talking, I guess finally, because this has been on, on our list for like three years, about romance. Two straight dudes talk about romance. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and in the character creation forge, we're building the Heartbreaker. So that's going to go well. Well, that's it for episode 266 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.